Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's the Autosport Podcast. We hail Kimi Raikkonen's return to winning ways and ask if Mercedes got its strategy wrong. It's finally happened. Kimi Raikkonen took his first Formula One victory since Australia 2013 in the United States Grand Prix. And what a victory it was in a dramatic race that went right down to the wire. I'm your host, Ed Straw, and joining me to dissect what we've just seen, first is Scott Mitchell. Now, in our, our last post-race podcast, you were basically wedged in the corner of a Japanese hotel room, Scott, but things are far more spacious this time around in these thoroughly suburban surroundings, very civilised by our standards. Yeah, we're, we're what, 15 minutes from uh, downtown Austin, which is, uh, which is pretty cool. One road over from Elm Street. So, you know, fortunately, no no nightmares here. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's very lovely. It's nice to... Uh, you might be... I don't know if the echo in this room is going to come through. But it's nice, perfectly pleasant bungalow. Much, uh, much more spacious than the efficient but cramped Japanese hotel room. Yes, well, you could argue that maybe this podcast represents the nightmare. So we'll see how we how we get on. Always the Sunday night post-Grand Prix podcasts are uh, quite taxing as everyone's brains have been melted by the uh, goings-on of the day. But also joining me is James Roberts, finally making your first appearance in Austin. 
Evening Straw. Yes, this is my first visit to Austin. Um, I did Indy twice in 2005 and 2006. I've been lucky enough to go to Watkins Glen in 2011, but uh, finally I've, I've uh, come to Austin this weekend and what a tremendous uh, race it's been. I've thoroughly loved every minute of it. But it's but it a great city, isn't it? It's, it's really, really, really lively. I've really been impressed by Austin. Um, I, I didn't really appreciate what a stronghold Texas is. Um, and I've been learning about it, uh, the revolution from Mexico and lots of people from Formula One are, are spending a couple of days in Texas before they go on to Mexico. A couple of people I know quite close to me right now are going up to Dallas. The, the Pirelli guys are going to Houston to the Space Center. Um, Lewis Hamilton, I know, is going to Atlanta to watch an NFL game. And we've we've actually got an, um, an NFL L game in front of us. We've got Bengals Chiefs. We won't give the result. The spoiler alert. So I we'll, should add this is on television. It's not. It's not a stadium. We're not in a stadium. But yeah, uh, on the Colorado River, um, uh, deep in in the Texan South, and I must say the dash from the uh, back from the circuit this evening was was quick. They certainly know how to drive on the freeways here. There's there's no messing about with undertaking, overtaking, turning right at red lights. So um, yeah, it's been been a great event. I'm not sure I entirely agree. There's a bit too much messing about on the roads for uh, for my liking, but uh, I've been known to be slightly uh, slightly impatient. Now, Scott, let's get on with the race. I love a good statistic, and uh, Kimi Raikkonen's 21st Grand Prix victory comes after a drought of 111 starts without a win. That breaks Ricardo Patrese's record of 99 starts between victories, which stretch from South Africa 1983 to Imola 1990. So it has been a long time coming, hasn't it? And like myself, you've been a critic of Kimi Räikkönen when he's uh, when he's underperformed but it's great to see him win again isn't it it's absolutely brilliant for formula 1 especially you saw you saw the response he got when he won and what was really nice was in the post race press conference kimi just came across as a different person much more relaxed happy to sit, sit there and chat the press conference went on for 25 30 minutes obviously all the it wasn't like all the questions were aimed at him but he answered every question in 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 good spirits and and what I really admired was and appreciated was that this was what we wanted from him you remember when he did the press conference was in Singapore after the Sauber news was announced and everybody decided that he was being oh really funny and witty because he was giving all these quick one line or one word answers and it wasn't actually he was being deliberately difficult when he was a, a major talking point and people wanted to know why he was going to Sauber what he was looking forward to all of that and we we got that tonight uh, when when he was talking. I I, I asked him. Um, he he do, he made a comment about proving a few people wrong. So I asked him if he if he meant that that means he proved he should be in a Ferrari next season. And he said no 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 not aimed at the team just a few critics. And then he moved on to say actually a lot of people don't understand that I'm very happy with where I want to go. He wants different challenges, different things as a driver now. It works for him as a as, as a family man. All, all all of this and it was really really nice to see that side of him. But from a competitive on track point of view, really nice to see him finally piece it all together. Didn't quite get pole in qualifying and obviously inherited second place because of Vettel's grid penalty. Absolutely nailed the start. Managed the first in resisted Lewis Hamilton for what, three laps of intense pressure from Lewis at the, in the first stint and then managed it absolutely perfectly under big pressure from Verstappen and Lewis at the end. So just a, a really good Grand Prix and a, I'll be completely honest, a performance I, nev- I I genuinely didn't think I'd see from him again in Formula 1. 
there were points during the race when you could kind of see what Raikkonen needed to do in the different phases to do it. And I was a little bit sceptical because we've seen that before. Normally there'll be, he'll tick eight of the boxes, but miss the, miss the ninth. What did he you, did nail it when he needed to. What did you describe it as, Ed? Something about your, uh, your mistrust of, of, of Kimmy or something like that to, to do, to do the job. And I, I was as sceptical as you, to be honest. And I don't know about you, Jimmy, when you were watching the race, but I, I took a fair bit of convincing. It wasn't until the last sort of three or four laps until I thought Kimmy had actually done it. I thought it was an extremely measured drive, error-free, and I think we're seeing something of a Kimmy renaissance at the moment, which is which is quite interesting. I think he's been buoyed by the fact he's got a Sauber deal um, to look forward to. And I've been lucky enough to read the biography of Kimmy that um, was published last week um, in English and it's just gone on sale and we've done a a special in F1 racing this month so we've lucked in in slightly in in the fact that he's our cover star this month but reading that book it was written by a a journalist who's not a self-confessed motor racing fan but he had tremendous access to Kimmy and he got to talk to him at his family home and you got to hear so many such a different side to Kimmy than than, than the Kimmy we see in TV sound bites or in press conferences where he gives very little and actually there is so much more to Kimmy having read this book and having understood a little bit more about his life and where he's come from that um is is, is really intriguing and uh I, I think I think I think his family as well have really given him a, a foundation and a place and um, I think he's, he's uh, today has shown it. He's in a really good place at the moment. Yeah, I think I think the one thing that's a bit of a shame with Kimmy is he doesn't put much of himself out there. You know, he's not obliged to. But if you look at someone like Lewis Hamilton, who he'll be very sincere and thoughtful in, in the reflections he gives. Whereas, just sometimes you want you know, you know the enthusiasm that underlies everything Kimmy does for motor racing. And like, for example, when the when the Sauber deal was announced, you just sort of wanted him to say, "Well, you know, I love doing this." and I love being at Sauber first time around, so of course I want to stay on the grid because I I enjoy doing it. So it's yeah, it's good to see the kind of hints of what uh, what actually drives him, and, and great for Formula One because he's he's a still a big star name, very very popular, very popular, uh, and it's and it, it's great to see him actually fulfilling uh, fulfilling his potential. That's the thing I've always found uh, always found frustrating about him that he uh, well he is because he, I mean you watch him walk through the paddock and you see children holding out pens and uh, programs. He just has his sunglasses on and marches straight past, and people love him for that. I mean it's it's crazy. Well, we talked about how well Kimi executed the race. Let's dig a bit more into that, uh, James. This is a race decided by tiny margins with Raikkonen leading home for Stappen by 1.281 seconds. Lewis Hamilton was 2.342 seconds behind and the foundation stone was taking the lead at the start thanks to the advance just starting on the Ultrasofts. Yeah, I think that was interesting that Ferrari split their strategy in qualifying yesterday and perhaps it's something that Mercedes should have looked to, could have looked at but... Uh, when you look at the difference in those first runs yesterday in qualifying, it was 88 thousandths, I think, in the first run and something like 63 thousandths in the second run. And then uh, it just shows how what, what's been fascinating for me is how much Ferrari have closed up that gap to Mercedes and how nip and tuck it's been between the two over this uh, over this race. So it's been really fascinating. I thought Kimi, everyone was saying, oh, Kimi hasn't made a place up on the first lap for God knows how long. But to, end, to actually, probably because he was starting on the ultras, to get that run on Lewis, Lewis defended, came to the inside, but he just managed to squeeze ahead. There was thought, would there be contact to turn one? Would there be any drama? 
as it happened, it all happened behind them. But uh, yeah, uh, Kimi then, then I can't remember him putting a, fo- a foot wrong after that. So I thought he drove brilliantly. Well, he was told to build up a two point five second lead. That's what the uh, the Ferrari pit were asking him to do, which he he did do. Although Hamilton then chipped back away and bought about a second back off that by the time the virtual safety car came out. Um, and yeah, Kimi was obviously mindful of the fact that he was on the ultra softs and the range wouldn't be great. And of course, because Friday practice was, well, it wasn't rained off, but rain made the, the, the dry weather data gathering exercise impossible. So they only had the one hour of uh, free practice on Saturday. So they weren't really sure with, with the tyres. So he managed that that very, very well. Um, but of course, we then had the point there where the, the Mercedes strategy came into play, Scott, with when the virtual safety car was deployed for... Uh, Daniel Ricciardo, he pulled off coming out of the uh, hairpin with a, a sudden shutdown of the uh, of, of the engine down to just the battery, uh, just saying no, just as he had in, in Bahrain. The virtual safety car came out and then it was the choice of do you pit or do you not? Yeah, and I actually think that Mercedes and, and Lewis Hamilton probably did the right thing in, in doing the opposite to, to Raikkonen. Um, I quite enjoyed seeing Kimi's little little jink left as he came out of the penultimate corner as if you know a faint to go into the pit. little dummy yeah exactly that was, that was quite nice to see um but the, I, I know that i'm i'm on the wrong side of the history of the race because ultimately that strategy didn't work lewis not only didn't win it he cost himself second but i kind of feel like it's it's the same as when mercedes left bottas out um on old tires at the end of the british grand prix where they, where the basically the decision is okay, we think that this is our the option that we need to do to win the race, and ultimately it backfires because you it costs you a place, but you do something in the moment that you think is going to w- win you the race, and and I know that Mercedes couldn't have known absolutely for certain forty six laps for the end of the race that it was going to play out the way they would, and that if they'd stayed on one stop and just followed Kimi, that that they would have only finished second, but. I admire the the effort to say, okay, well, we're unlikely to be able to make anything happen if uh, if we just sort of you know follow lead follow the leader. They got caught out in Austria by misjudging the VSC. So I I appreciate I like the fact that they didn't just settle for sticking behind Kimi and did something that I guess at the time they thought was going to win them the race. Yes, but I'm not sure. I think you do. Uh, the time you spent taking a pit stop under a virtual safety car is negated because everyone's running at a lower speed, so there would be an advantage. But I think that it didn't work because, as, as you said earlier, uh, when we were having dinner, Ed, um, Raikkonen was already on the alternate strategy, and so Lewis was was almost matching him by doing that. But what what also happened is when um, Lewis then caught Kimi up, um he then backed him up, didn't he? And he was losing, I think, probably a, the, the time he'd won by pitching under the virtual safety car. He then lost being behind Kimi at that phase of the race. Well, the problem is, as, as Toto Wolf pointed out, by doing that, they could pit Hamilton, Bottas back, let him back past, so he's back with Kimi. So you can argue, well, then they're both on the same strategy. But inevitably, that created that offset where there was always going to be a point where Raikkonen was further back and had some clear air to, uh, to to use his pace. So, I mean, I think I'm all for, yeah, going going aggressive and trying to play to win. But I feel, if anything, I think that was a, 
I, I don't really know where that where that risk was was taking them. I don't committing to a two stopper. The only others that pitted under the virtual safety car were the people with nothing to lose, the Gaslies, yeah. the Sorotkins, and I think that's kind of indicative of that. That wasn't really a. I just don't feel it was a especially relevant gamble to take. In fact, I imagine they were fairly surprised that Ferrari didn't stop. I have half a suspicion they probably thought Kimi would dive into the pits anyway. Because he'd take the the cheap uh, the cheap pit stop, and obviously they didn't want to sacrifice track position. Well, very possibly, but I also think that in terms of their the execution of their race, that wasn't the the bit of their strategy where they made the mistake. If you're executing the two stop strategy, it's be, um, you only switch to that because you think you're going to gain all that time under the VSC, and I think that part of the strategy worked. The bit where I think they screwed up is uh, by leaving Lewis out too long. Uh, before his second stop because he just shipped so much time in the last few laps whether that was traffic or his tyres going off the edge or, or a combination of the two that he rejoined you know what Lewis said when he came on the radio afterwards he's like how have we how is it, is it 12 seconds and then all of that new tyre advantage is spent catching them up and by the time you get there okay you've got six or seven laps to do something but by that point you've 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 lost that edge I appreciate that the other two were probably managing their tyres a bit better. By pushing that hard to close that gap, Lewis immediately exposes himself to the risk of, of blistering, which is a separate topic, but I just find is such a biz- bizarrely common occurrence this year, this issue of managing blisters. And Lewis just found himself vulnerable to that. So by the time he got to the end, I just don't think he, he had enough. And I feel like that would have been avoided if they'd managed that second stop better. And I think the first stop was actually fine. Yeah, well, Kimi pitted on lap 22, I believe. So that was 11 laps after Lewis pitted. And then on lap 28, when it was basically half distance, Lewis had an advantage, I think, of six, 17 seconds over Kimi at, at that point. 17.1 seconds. Thank you, Straw. I've got noted down here. And then Verstappen was another four seconds back, I think. Now... I think the best, one of the best things Mercedes could have done was to have pitted Lewis at that point. He probably would have come out just ahead of Verstappen. Yeah, he, he certainly had that, that yeah. in that window. He could, and would have been just behind him. Kimi, and he would have been in the net second place that would have given him the world championship. Toto, uh, I was at that um, uh, briefing afterwards, and he said we we kept. Lewis out, hoping that he would have stronger tyre life at the end. But you saw over the next um, 12 or so laps that Kimi had reduced that deficit from 17 seconds to 8 seconds. Then Lewis pitted and then was having to do a lot more work to close up. And he just didn't have enough tyre life um, at the end to be as quick as they hoped he would be. Well, he faded so much that it stopped being about whether Kimi could stay in the pit stop window. And all of a sudden... Kimi, Verstappen and Bottas were all in that mm. pit stop window. So, okay, Bottas was never going to put up a fight. So uh, so that that's maybe a little bit irrelevant, but it just shows how quickly the picture of the race changed in that moment, um, which is, again, just to reiterate the, my main point, which is why I don't think that initial stop is maybe necessarily the the big problem. It's the fact, it's what they did after that. Obviously, they locked themselves into a situation where they then had to manage a second stop. So you can argue they're creating problems for themselves. But feel to me, that is where they sort of created more problems than they should. But Lewis did also say afterwards, he was a little bit cryptic. 
but he did say afterwards that they they seem to have a very problematic race. Mercedes. There was a he picked up a bit of floor floor damage, hitting some some debris, which he reckons was costing him a couple of attempts. Um, and then he said that there was a a problem that he wouldn't name, and he he was asked and he wouldn't tell us uh, that they identified after the race as well, which he thinks cost them some time, but they don't know how much. So far from a perfect race, not just in terms of strategic management, just by but just pure pace of the car. Yeah, certainly. I mean, I don't think that the had they not pitted on the the virtual safety car, I suspect Hamilton wouldn't have been able to win the race. The blistering problem would have still arisen on the on the softs. But I think that you know, setting that aside, the the pitting under the VSC was uh, was. I, I think the risk versus reward ratio wasn't uh, wasn't great for that one. But clearly, once they were in this middle stint, they were worried about the about the how the tyres would stand up in the final stint as well so just got themselves in this position I think once they because it was quite sudden in the space of a couple of laps Verstappen went from well clear to in, in the pit window and it's like that that sort of situation unfolding just uh, it's like they sort of double down on it and uh, and just decided to leave him out longer which which I think was a mistake because his best chance of pulling an overtaking manoeuvre would have been when he had the, the biggest difference in terms of the tyre performance which had been early in the in the final stint, so ultimately it comes down to pace. They didn't really get on top of the car in the little practice they had. James Allison, the technical director, uh, ad- admitted that they had the soft tire blistering problems. Bottas had had similar troubles. So I think, yeah, fundamentally, car pace tends to dictate all. And I think once they lost track position at the start, it was always going to be an uphill struggle. What I would say about the Mercedes strategy, whether we like it or not, whether we agree. It was the right or wrong decision. Uh, it did. It is re- responsible for us having the amazing race we we witnessed because well, it would have that, been a very it would have been a much flatter race without that happening. We we wouldn't have had uh, Hamilton catching Kimi and going and battling him in the first stint, and then we wouldn't have had at the end. And I know the Kimi one was maybe a little bit different because Kimi was about to pit, but I still thought that was was really really entertaining. But how good was that? that battle two and a bit laps before the end with with Verstappen that might might be one of my sort of favorite wheel-to-wheel moments of the season that yes it was brilliant and I particularly liked how much racing room they gave each other it was um uh, it, it all started when Lewis finally got within DRS range to Verstappen um with two laps to go down that back straight had a look and then Verstappen he just outbraked himself didn't he which gave gave Lewis a little chance on the inside then he looked at around the outside of 13 and thought oh no I think I know exactly what Max is going to do he's going to push me wide so he cut to the other side again then they went wheel to wheel to the next one and in a classic any sort of karting racer will know with somebody's on the inside and goes in deep you break earlier on the on the outside and then cut back which is exactly what he did and then he looked to go around the outside and there was um you, you could sense this is all he needed two laps from the end he's going to get second to be world champion and then he hits the marbles and runs wide and then um uh, Verstappen confirms that place and it, it looked all over it was just it was just so it was all over it was so raw and aggressive in the battle when lewis was doing those cutbacks he was so eager to get on the throttle the car was squirming and i know you say that, that they gave each other racing room but lewis was perhaps a little bit unhappy afterwards because he referenced the fact that he gave verstappen too much space because lewis was in don't want to take a stupid risk i'm in the championship mode but this is my chance to overtake so i'm going to go for it but i'm going to probably leave maybe more margin than i normally would and he said if it was up against Vettel, we would have squeezed him more so probably sensible especially given 
Verstappen's track record in wheel-to-wheel combat as well. Uh, but but just I can't can't fault either of the drivers. Just a- a- absolutely brilliant. And Verstappen had a brilliant race, didn't he? I mean, he started uh, 18th on the grid and came through to second. He, he might even have won. But uh, Straw, as you know, I like my lap charts. I, I think at the last podcast I did, I had a lap chart fluttering in my hand and uh, I have another one here and looking at Verstappen number 33 on the grid is 18th and then the next position you see 33 is in ninth position so he's gained nine places in one lap now we've all played F1 2018 and we've all started at the back of the grid and gone oh I'm suddenly in the top 10 on the first lap that never happens in real life but it does because uh, as you saw uh, on the opening lap there was chaos all down the order wasn't there and turn one there was incidents through the through the um uh, fast section there were incidents and at the, at the bottom of the um at the bottom of the straight as well so he he did inherit quite a few places early on but that doesn't shouldn't take anything away from him from um, uh, piecing his 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 car perfectly through the traffic, through the through the chaos, and through the ne- next um, uh, few competitors to pull himself up the order and into contention. Max's first uh, few laps was so good that by the time I was writing the Autosport.com web report for the race, a few laps from the end, just starting to piece a few bits of detail together, I'd completely forgotten he started 18th because he was just like when you're in those moments working from memory a little bit you just think oh well max was just i remember max was sort of there or thereabouts in the top six and then because he was on he went a bit longer and then he when they pit this out it shuffled out like this and it wasn't until like basically right i'd i'd filed it and then within about five seconds of filing it i thought ah i've not even mentioned that max started 18th this is crazy it was just i know he got a lot of plaudits in russia for that charge through the order there were sort of some elements of that race that were um, a little bit misleading. It was a very good drive, but it wasn't at, like quite as stunningly mega as maybe maybe it looked. I thought this he did he did absolutely everything to to come away at the end with second place, having resisted a Mercedes as well late on. Uh, just tremendous driving. Oh, I just want to jump in and say something, Straw. I think it was something you said to. Toto after the race, which was, uh, would it be advantageous to have better races if we didn't have Friday practice? Because one of the reasons Mercedes was scuppered was they weren't able to do long runs on the soft tire, so they weren't able to get a, 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 a they weren't able to evaluate how long they could run on them, which sort of played into why it was a little bit on the hoof and spontaneous today. And um, I, I think he dismissed the idea, of, obviously, because he because he would. It's very useful to have Friday running. But it's interesting how just little facets like that can affect the management of the race weekend and how strategy plays into it and how you're able to make decisions on the hoof from information that you have or haven't got. And it, it all plays up to make Grand Prix racing such a fascinating sport in all the little strategic things and elements that can go into it. Well, it does create the... the- opportunity for for interesting races and the, you know the point about the lack of practice certainly i think does have some uh, some validity i mean toto said i think you'll just see people doing more simulation work etc out of it which is true to an extent but you know you can simulate all you want but until you know the track conditions you know you, you don't necessarily know if the tires are going to blister etc because the, there's all sorts of different variables that can that can impact what you're going to do but it is the case this year that the, the races that have really been exciting and interesting have been the ones 
by and large where there's been some strategic variable curveball thrown in by a virtual safety car or, or a safety car and this race would have been fairly flat uh, without that but it, it's interesting the whole question of strategy it's very very easy and I do it a lot so I say yeah that strategy was right that strategy was wrong etc etc but uh, well you know I've, I've had the chance to uh, to, to experiment with my own uh, strategy calls with uh, team order racing manager Ever wanted to manage your own Formula 1 racing team, build a successful car and issue tough team orders when needed? Well, now you can with Team Order Racing Manager, available on Google Play and the App Store. Give it a try, Team Order Racing Manager. I've been I've been playing it and I have to say, Scott, I've been extremely good at converting very good track position early in races to very, very, very bad results. So uh, there's somebody there in the, uh, there's, there's a virtual journalist in that game writing reports about how uh, how poor my strategy is. Are they uh, giving you terrible driver ratings or team manager ratings? Well, I'd hope they give me terrible team team manager ratings. Draw yeah. one out of ten. One out of ten would be generous, uh, the way I'm going. Yeah, it's uh, not many points on the board in my in my early races. Now, we haven't really talked about Sebastian Vettel, who's conspicuous by his absence in terms of the battle at the front. Another mishap for for Vettel, who uh, spun after contact with Danny Ricciardo on the first lap. Scott, I mean, do we put that one down as a as another one on the chalkboard of massive Vettel blunders, or is it just one of those things? Yeah, absolutely. And um, we have this uh, tend to have this argument with with people about. Um, some people seem to think that you can't criticise drivers who try to race when they make mistakes because then you're basically saying, oh, well, don't ever try because if you're going to fail, it's rubbish. So better to be safe than sorry. But that's not the point. We've we've talked, we've waxed lyrical about how mega the, the battling was between Lewis and Kimi and then Lewis and Max. That's that's proper racing. That That is what happens when you judge things carefully and you're very considered... It's, it's considered aggression. That's basically what it is. Uh, it's, it's not. It's not being hapless, and that's what Vettel was. Again, at the start of a race in a wheel-to-wheel situation under pressure, he just capitulates. It's uh, how many times have we seen that? So obviously Monza, he he spun hitting Lewis. Then very early in the race in Japan, spoon curve with Max. Yeah, absolutely. So, and then. Um, Baku going for the lead, Baku uh, going from trying to go for the lead and locking up and running wide at turn one. Magni Cor- uh, no, Magni Cor- you said Magni Cor earlier this weekend, didn't I got you? Absolutely pilloried earlier this weekend <laughs> for, uh, for saying Magni We haven't been to Magni Cor for years. Uh, Ricard, sorry, yeah, first corner. Exactly. So there, there have been mistakes, and while while some of them I completely I completely accept. For example, the Baku one, I don't actually think. Um, I, I I feel that if they could go back and do that race again, I would absolutely back Sebastian to try that move again because it's that you know he hits that bump that caught Lewis out earlier in the thing, and it's that those fine margins where you can move, you you could make that move and it comes off. It just depends on where you hit the bump and hit the brakes. But it's that those those are fine. It's the ones where it's that. It's just a misjudgment on what you do on the inside of someone like under braking on, on, on the first lap. And it was really frustrating because he's got the move done. You mentioned when Verstappen and, and Hamilton were, were battling when, when Max went a bit deep into the hairpin. Well, that's basically what Vettel did 
with Ricardo because he'd got the move done and then he overshot the yeah, hairpin. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, so yeah. Right, Ricardo was able to come back at him yeah. and then Vettel sort of almost in a panic is throwing it back down the inside because they weren't exactly wheel-to-wheel level into the next right-hander, were they? Ricardo just had it on the outside. Yeah. So Vettel deeper on the brakes goes in and again. And you saw, oh, you watch it on the onboard, there's a little correction he makes. Wobble, he just loses the rear. wobble, and bumps. Because sort of, it's strange because his, his left front taps Dan's right front but that the, the the momentum or whatever happens just takes him around instantly. It's yeah, it's, very bizarre. You can tell that he's obviously unsettled the car, hasn't he, with the yep. wobble. So it's not like he wobbles, straightens up and hits Ricardo. He sort of hits him, doesn't he, sort of while yep. there, there's I something the still momentum, going on in the weight the, transfer, yeah, basically. Exactly. So uh, it's just, it is another error, isn't it? And at that point, the, the, this is probably the thing about the race that confuses me the most. When we saw that happen... And you consider that after that, all we had was a short virtual safety car period. How on earth did Vettel manage to get away with not with only losing two points to Lewis in that race? Yeah, it was a good fight back, wasn't it? Yeah, well, I think that comes down to again the uh, the the fact that Class B runners aren't really putting up much of a fight, and then so where did he end up? He he did manage to get Bottas on the on the last lap. I think. Yeah, he, was, did, he did well. He so, did well uh, to get Bottas, and he, he did have, and he you know he said he had the pace to win, and actually. Potentially he did because he did have good pace. Um, that's what makes it so frustrating. But you know, in the, the point you're making about the the judgment about mistakes being made. If this was just a one-off, it, it would be fine. But what's that? The third time in the last five races, is it? I lose track with rapid fire. So it's Monza, Suzuka, uh, Austin, where well, where but, and he's, had the, where he's had incidents. But don't forget, it's, it was his second key mistake of the weekend because in practice he got a three place grid penalty for failing to slow sufficiently under the red flag well that's a good point because uh, scott sebastian complained about the the red flag rules here do you think he had a point about that um he has a point in terms of whether he was driving unsafely or not which is at the heart of the rule isn't it the drivers are supposed to slow down sufficiently for Red flags, so they're not a danger, and 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 because you don't know exactly what situations on track. Well, the, I think the onboard pretty emphatically the onboard showed that shows, in, yeah, exactly. in that regard, he he did absolutely, but not to the letter or number because it's a delta time of the law. So this is the problem with a black and white rule that there will occasionally be moments where, to all intents and purposes, someone's not done anything wrong, but they have broken the rule as written. So they fall into that weird middle ground of, well, actually, if you were going to apply common sense and you didn't have this rule and you were doing it based on case-by-case basis, Vettel wouldn't get penalised for that because of the, the amount he slows down. But the rule is there. There is a certain amount, that there is a certain time that you have to hit. He didn't hit it. And therefore he gets punished. And I, and I agree with FIA race director Charlie Whiting, you know, um, it was it's, it's pretty easy to, to follow that delta time. Just, just follow it, and it's like Toto Wolf said over the weekend as well. He gave the stewards no choice. Well, it's a question of rules of rules, and of course, the context on this is that drivers always ask for consistency and clear rules, so they they know what they can do. And then, of course, as soon as they fall foul of these these clear rules, they think, well, there should be consistency. Uh, no, there should be leniency because I, I drove in the right way. You know, you either have a situation where you allow allow the stewards to make a judgment call on it and say, yeah. 
you slow down enough, that's fine. Which, from a safety perspective, what Vettel did was not unsafe, clearly. But yeah, he did. He didn't follow the guidelines that have been clearly set in place. There's a very straightforward system to do it. He's not the only driver who's had that. Esteban Ocon had it at, at, uh, at Suzuka, and that was that was Ocon's Ocon's error. It, it just it just is what it is, you know. Don't if you don't want to get that penalty, then just make sure you make sure you respect the delta time. Straw, you've done your ARDS test, haven't you? you? You're an amateur racer. You know the importance of... One of the first things you're, you're taught about is flag rules and flag marshalling and the very basics of, of, of racing. Double wave yellows means be prepared to stop. How many times have you seen double wave yellows and drivers going through as, as fast as they can get away with? Red flag, you don't know, you don't know what's round a blind apex if there's some raving lunatic who's run onto the circuit or some carnage that um, you're unaware of. So I think the reason to have that regulation um, that was brought in this year, for me, he's absolutely in the wrong. He's, 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 uh, he should be respecting the rule that has brought in and, and, and you can claim you're as safe as you, you like, but, uh, I think the rule is the rule, and I think he's he's he he deserves a penalty for for breaking that rule. Yeah, certainly. I mean, but I think it's a. Uh, oh, you yeah, have done uh, your uh, test. The, the rules, the rules go. Yes, I've uh, well, I haven't, I haven't raced for a while now, but uh, yeah, I, I don't think I ever had any uh, any uh, red flag speeding penalties. Have you? Have I the, rarely sped. <laughs> have the stewards ever put picked you up on anything? There have been some incidents with stewards. Yes, I've uh, usually been on the right side of them. But uh, yeah, it's uh, in fact when I did do miles test years ago, there was a bit there was a bit of an issue because they, they there was a brief period in British racing where there was this Battenberg flag if you remember that I remember that yeah, we, I had it in karting yeah is and, that when it's time to eat cake well it's always time to eat cake when you're me but it was basically a rule whereby effectively you had a safety car but without a safety car so everyone had to slow down and the leader becomes the safety a car virtual safety uh, car some, something like that but you do but you did group up together with the leader effectively being the oh, safety okay. car. Great idea in theory, but what it normally meant in terms of racing is that everyone has a massive accident because <laughs> some people... Hit it. And, and the thing was, and it was in 2004, it was my first season of racing. I took my arts test in 2004, and that Battenberg flag had been removed for 2004. And so you get these things, well, what would you do if you saw these flags? And I, and I put nothing, and I got marked <laughs> down. And I said, and I said, well, but that's that's been removed. I said, oh, no, it has been removed for this season, but we haven't had the paperwork to change the answer. Oh. And I thought... Well, this 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 was a valuable lesson in the uh, the pernicketiness of uh, of officialdom. But I've I've massively digressed here. I've gone off further than occasionally when I had my off track excursions when racing. Let's get back on uh, back on track by having a look at Class B. Uh, James, it wasn't such an eventful race in terms of the actual battling on track, but it was quite significant in that battle for fourth in the championship. So it was a it was a one two, as it were, for. Renault with Nico Hülkenberg 6th and Carlos Sainz Jr. 7th, which is hugely significant because that puts them 22 points ahead of Haas in the battle for 4th in the in the championship. Yeah, no, it was absolutely brilliant for, for Renault. Um, Hülkenberg started 7th on, uh, on the Ultrasoft and uh, his teammate um, started 11th on the on the Supersoft. And if you look at the times between them in qualifying, I, I'm sorry, I don't have it right in front of me, but it was... It was thousands again between the two of them. So um, for me, Nico and Carlos are, are, are arguably the best driver. I think they're the best driver lineup in Class B. Um, and they both drove brilliantly. Um, I thought it was a bit unfair 
that I think Carlos um, was was penalised, wasn't he? He had a five second penalty for for taking advantage of getting in front of a few people at turn one, ran wide, and I thought that was a bit dubious. But um, you you looked when you look at that first lap again, and when people are all over the place, you see the two Renaults working. It's fascinating. You can see them working together, but at the same time, they're having a look at each other. But um, yeah, a uh, very fine run, and I think they deserve their, their 22 points. It was smooth, consistent, um, easy, and, and good race pace as well. Um, they're, they're, a, they're, a, they're Endstone always have been a very solid, good racing team, and I thought they deserved their points today. It's quite nice to have a race where we, um, we do turn to Class B as an afterthought, rather than trying to salvage some kind of entertainment through through the second tier um i actually think in that that renault one two in class b signs is very fortunate to have got what he got because um that move at the start ultimately that changes the complexion of his race entirely so i think you said this earlier ed if you're if you say right you're going to make all these places up move to the front of the midfield battle and stay there all race and be able to run your race and you just have to lose five seconds of your race time early on, but it doesn't actually cost you any track position, you're going to snap that up uh, if, if that gets offered to you. So kind of, the t- sometimes the, t- the application of time penalties feels a bit feels a bit odd. It, it would be quite interesting to know and to be in there with the stewards sometimes to sort of see how they come to certain conclusions. But as a general sort of overview, if you if you ignore that, which is a little bit difficult to do. Renault, Renault retaliated after a, a really rubbish run of races. Zero Abitable Renault team boss was all doom and gloom a couple of weeks ago in Japan, and uh, it's completely changed now. App, com- changed completely now. Then they now look really comfortable in fourth. Um, I've got some some insight that I can give you on the stewards' room because I did a uh, a feature where I went inside the FIA in at Interlagos last year, and there's a um, a lovely chap called Chris Bentley who sits on his own with five different screens, and he can give um, any piece of evidence from any race this year. I think even going beyond that as well on his database. So if the stewards say, um, okay, uh, let, let's look at a misdemeanor, such as somebody um, running too slowly in uh, during a red or too quickly during a red flag period, or let's have a look at where someone's been cutting corners or if there's been um, a, a driving incident. If they want to refer back to the same penalty or the same uh, misdemeanor and, and the penalty awarded, he can pull that information up instantly and show it to them. So in, in, in terms of consistency, there, there is a, there's a, there's a great deal that they can, they can look at it. They don't take each one just as a simple case by case. There's a, there's a lot of evidence they can put together. Which is good in principle, but consistency is often the enemy of fairness in these decisions because obviously, it depends how you look at it because you can look at whether whether the offence is the is the definition of offence in itself or whether the benefit of the offence. The problem I've got I've got there is yeah that if you say well you do that move like if if I'm going into in the unlikely event that I get the second Williams drive um, if I'm on the outside running in about fifteenth and I think well if I carry a load of speed into here I can pass three or four cars take the runoff I'll get a five second penalty but in terms of race time, that track position advantage is going to give me huge advantage. So the danger is that the drivers will start trading that off. So 
it's it's quite a it's quite a difficult one that so i i agree that what you're talking about there makes perfect sense you have precedent you have previous cases but the big problem is that one incident is always a little bit different to another and you always have to be slightly there has to be a little bit of room for, but isn't that the example of the drivers doing exactly what the engineers do it's just pushing the regulations to the absolute limit to see what they can oh, get course, away yeah. with for an advantage of course yeah and it's the stewards jobs to uh to clamp down on them i mean ultimately Renault were strong on pace and, uh, you know, I, I think we don't want to take too much away from uh, what Science did. And it was, as you say, close to me. I think it was 2000s in Q2 when uh, Science missed out and, and Hulkenberg went through in 10th place in, in Q2. Thank so, you for that, having that information to hand. A good, uh, it was, uh, it, you know, a good, um, a good all-round performance on Renault and one they, when they desperately needed. There was also a little bit of another assist, Scott, because unusually we saw two drivers disqualified Esteban Ocon's Racing Point Force India which finished 8th and Kevin Magnussen's Haas which was ninth. they were both uh, chucked out after the race which promoted Brendan Hartley and Marcus Ericsson into the final two points positions now both of these were fuel regulation related slightly different offensive can you just explain what's gone on there um, I, I can try uh, so Magnussen seems to it is very simple there's uh there's a there's a limit of how much fuel you can use during the race and uh magnuson uh exceeded that but understanding is that he only exceeded it on the very last lap so it's 105 kilograms of fuel you're allowed to, to use from the moment the signal is given to start the race and the moment your car crosses the finish line at the end and on that final lap that Magnussen did, he went past that limit. So it's not like that it was, I think he said it was something like 0.1 kilos of fuel or something like that, which was, uh, which led to him declaring that he was racing in formula fuel saving or something instead of the, formula the, one. This is something you should be very familiar with. This is like formula E with the, uh, with the energy allowance, isn't it? Although they're much quicker at, uh, pinging people for that. Yeah. And formula E cars are much quicker than formula one cars and the racing is much better in formula E, but I digress. Um, the, the cars might not actually be faster. I might be lying there. Um, and with Esteban Ocon, it is related to an offence on the first lap where he, uh, I don't have the information quite to hand, but he exceeded the um, the fuel flow allowance on the opening lap of the race, which it, I, I believe is trace was traced to some kind of maybe some kind of software blunder or input blunder which basically meant he was in the wrong setting and using too much fuel, but in a way that was actually detrimental to the engine's performance. So a bit of a double whammy for Ocon because it meant he didn't have everything at max chat on the opening lap and he, he broke the rule. So two disqualifications for fuel offences. And I think, um, is it, I, I, I can't remember which, which one was it? Was it Daniel Ricciardo in the very first race? For the V6 turbo hybrids in Australia, he got pinged for a fuel flow offence. Didn't yeah, he? yeah, he finished. He finished second, which was miraculous given the the preseason that uh, that Red Bull had, had with the, with the Renault engine. Yeah, and he he was done. And in fact, it was interesting because I went to the to the hearing that was held in uh, in Paris at the FIA after that. And and I'm going on memory here. I've got all the notes from this in a in a, in a drawer at home. But in terms of that fuel flow. Uh, limit you you are allowed a few little peaks and that kind of thing so if you have, you can have a sudden spike for various reasons whether where the instantaneous fuel flow measurement just goes beyond what it what it should do so in order to get pinged for it you do have to it's not it can't just be one fractional moment so you actually have to do something that's sort of sustained and that was what the whole ricardo case 
hinge, sort of hinged upon whether it was whether it was sustained, whether etc. And of course, he uh, the disqualification. So I'm, I'm slightly surprised we don't have this. Haven't had this happen. happen this is what's amazing. This is literally the first time this has happened since Ricardo got pinged. So that, that's amazing. And then the Magnussen Haas one is that that feels a little bit stupid. Really, you've you've got a limit of fuel. How do you end up using more when I don't I don't recall any instance of that happening? No, no, no. I mean, it may well be that because Magnussen was under quite a lot of pressure at the end of the race, wasn't he? Um, I'm just trying to remember who was uh, who was behind him. Yeah, so he had Perez right up behind him. So I wonder if that played a part in just you know if you're under pressure, could have done. But and you, and you know you try and use every little bit of power available to you. What, whatever, and just misjudge it. Whatever the reason was, it capped an utterly miserable home race for Haas because not only have they now basically fallen out of contention for fourth in the constructors' championship. They've had a car disqualified, the with the car that finished in the points disqualified. And Roman Grosjean has put himself on the brink of a race ban because he hit Charles Leclerc on the opening lap. He's picked up a free free place grid penalty for Mexico and an extra penalty points on his license. So he's now on ten points and he doesn't drop any until the Monday after Mexico. So he's gonna to have to be very, very careful because uh I mean have um since since that since that penalty point system came in, have we had anyone banned for it? No, nobody's ever got to 12 points. So we the, would... The last driver to be banned from a race, of course, was Roman Grosjean. Well, I was about to say, so the person who was responsible for that penalty point system coming in, basically, is four years later going to be, the, could be the first person to suffer from it. Yeah, it's, it's very, very possible. It'd be interesting to see what would happen over, over Roman's perspective. It doesn't happen, but... If there is an incident in Mexico, how whether the stewards try and deliberately be lenient or whatever with it, because they they were very clear in this one. They only gave one penalty point for this. They sort of stressed very emphatically why it was only one point given well, the circumstances. It was it was the it's because you have when there's a penalty applied. The because I, I asked Charlie Whiting this after the race, he said that when there's a penalty applied, it's a one point minimum. You get the penalty point because you have a penalty applied. So. They picked the free place grid penalty, and they had to apply a penalty point as well. So, what they, I guess, to be consistent with other such penalties this year, they could have given him two penalty points, but they were lenient on the grounds that Roman did lift off and break early for the corner because he saw Leclerc battling with the Force India in front, and then he just made a genuine, genuine mistake, locked up and clattered into the Sauber. I don't, I don't think it was a massive, massive... Uh, I mean, it was an error, but not not a massive one. Certainly wouldn't, uh, wouldn't be good if that led to, to him a, getting a bounce. Here's a question for you, sort of theoretically. If Roman did get more points in Mexico and was banned for Brazil, who would Haas put in the car for Brazil? Giovinazzi. Yeah, Giovinazzi, Giovinazzi, Giovinazzi yeah. yeah. That'd be it with a slightly... I guess slightly predictable answer, but yeah, he'd be the, he'd be the logical one to uh, want to throw in. Can we think of a more fun answer? Because I feel like that might have disappointed Jimmy. That answer. Yeah, I think Santino Ferrucci, Jack Villeneuve, ooh, Glenn Freeman, Jack Villeneuve, like of course, who was the last driver to be banned from a Grand Prix before Roman Grosjean. But of course, everybody forgets that because he participated under appeal in that Grand Prix, which was Azuka uh, ninety seven. He was done for, I think it was a, a overtaking under yellows and he was already under a suspended ban. Yes. And he was banned, appealed. I think he finished fifth in the race and they withdrew the appeal. So he was kind of retrospectively banned from the race, but he was, at, he was actually banned. He was the last driver to be banned from a Grand Prix. 
but there was obviously obviously an entire team banned from a Grand Prix after that. Yeah, two races, yeah. Uh, Villeneuve's own team, in fact. Yeah, absolutely. There you go. So, well, after he'd been booted, but... We'll just work our way back through history. There haven't been many bands. I think Hakkinen in 94 was the... It was probably the last band before that. but And the last band before that? <laughs> oh, well, that's, that's, that's getting quite difficult, actually. Race, bands, need, are, race bands are pretty rare. I, I suspect listeners can tell that we're starting to get towards the end of the uh, the, the evening after a very, very long day here because we're starting to, to, to ramble and waffle and do all of the things that they love about the Autosport podcast. Exactly, exactly. We're, we're massively digressing. I think we really need to get back on, on topic by uh, having a chat about Philippe Alio. Uh, no, no, we won't. Uh, we won't randomly uh, discuss Formula Russe uh, and Leger drivers. Well, I think we should probably wrap it up there before we uh, become too deranged. Um, it was a fantastic race, and uh, you can catch up on all the post-race reaction on autosport.com. Also, check out our Plus subscriber area, all sorts of in-depth uh, articles, my driver ratings. You can also go on and do your own votes for the driver ratings, so you can compare how the readers evaluate the drivers compared to, to myself uh, check out Autosport Magazine out on Thursday lots of in-depth coverage there on the race and the whole world of motorsport so check out sister titles F1 Racing Magazine out monthly what's what's on the cover is, is the Kimi Raikkonen issue yes, out yes Kimi Raikkonen issue is um, on the shelves as we speak excellent I think I wrote something for that as well so uh, that, that'll be well worth a read other than my bit uh, read the rest of it it'll be, it'll be excellent also, sister website, motorsport.com. Take a look at that. And if you fancy a flutter, pit stop betting. Download the app and you can uh, put a few quid on Formula One, MotoGP, whatever takes your fancy. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back soon with another Also Sport podcast. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Wendy's Nose Cold and Soggy Fries are the worst. So soggy. That's why we're serving up hot and crispy fries all day, every day. And all night. Until close. With natural cut potatoes, sea salted to perfection. Show me that potato skin. Wendy's Hot and Crispy aren't like other fries. We're your dream fry. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's Hot and Crispy Fries. Guaranteed to be hot and crispy. If yours aren't, bring them back and we'll replace them. Sports Social Podcast Network. 
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.